0: We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations.
1: You're listening to the ERLC podcast. Help us consider spreading the word about the podcast by sharing this episode (laughs) on social media or going into your pod spreading.
0: Help us consider spreading the word. I'm
1: so self conscious (laughs) about. About what the microphone is that a knowledge. is that, that is that a mouth click or a That's mouth fun. pop? It's a mouth noise. Yes,
0: and it's a bluffing.
1: Yeah, it's a bluffing. Man, you guys are my friends, best
0: friends, <laughs> very best friends. <laughs>
1: That's right. <laughs> okay. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we're talking about our work here at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me on the podcast, as always, are my co host, Lindsay Nicolay.
0: Good afternoon, everybody.
1: And Brent Leatherwood. Hello, everybody. Well, guys, it's good to be back uh, for another week of the podcast. Uh, later in the show, we're going to get to talk to one of our just very best friends, uh, Dean and Sarah, who is the pastor at City Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And I'm sure that's going to be a great conversation. But so that we can get into it, Lindsay, tell us what the ULC has been talking about this week.
0: I didn't know Dean was one of my best friends. Well, he's one of my best friends. I don't know. What <laughs> <dude>. <laughs> How many best friends do you have? You, I think, you strike me as the type of person that calls everybody your best friend, like Dan. I
1: I do. I do and when
2: everyone is a best friend, no one is a best friend. Lindsay, tell us what the ERLC has
1: been talking about this week.
0: Okay, so this week we're opening up talking about uh, new development in technology. And I'm glad that we have people like Jason Thacker on staff to write about these things because they often go over my head. So his, uh, his article this week is titled, What a New AI System Reveals About Our Hopes for Technology. Open AI's GPT-3 and remembering to recognize our creator. So, again, that's GPT-3, which I don't quite understand what that is, but that's why Jason wrote the article. So, basically, he tells us how many in the technology industry want to see AI, artificial intelligence, come to the same level as human intelligence. And While artificial intelligence is amazing and there are many good features of these technologies, ultimately they will never... Uh, reach the pinnacle of human creation because God has endowed us as, as His creation and humans alone with um, the bearing of His image. So instead of looking at these technologies and looking to them as uh, the salvation for humanity or something like that, um, instead, we can enjoy their benefits, be aware of their problems, and then also turn our eyes back to the Lord uh, as our Creator for giving us talent that can develop these things.
1: I'm really grateful. Uh, for Jason, uh, our colleague at the ERC, because uh, without him, uh, I'd just be lost when it comes to so much of these questions about technology. And uh, I remember uh, several years ago being in an ethics class that was actually being taught by Dr. Moore, and he raised the question: Would you ever baptize a robot? And at the time, that seemed so absurd because robots were not even really a thing. I mean, you think about the thing that cleans your carpets in your house or whatever. But uh, the the question, as we're looking at artificial intelligence and the fact that very soon these things that are that are not human are going to be able to uh, express uh, or or imitate uh, the kinds of not only intelligence but emotions uh, that human beings possess is gonna is going to you know complicate our lives in ways that we have never before thought about or are just now starting to think about. And so I would encourage people to follow Jason's work. And, and even here as he's talking about this, uh, obviously I felt compelled to say, I still don't think you should baptize a robot, but there are a lot of questions coming up because of AI that we need to be thinking about and paying attention to.
0: Right. And it's important to remember that these things will never be able to deliver on what they're promised. These high um, lofty goals and ambitions, especially as it relates to being on the same plane as humans. It's, it's just not going to happen, but we do have to watch... The developments like you said, and, and we're thankful to have people on staff that are doing that and other people out in um, in the Christian world with uh, that the Lord is gifted in that way. So okay, next up, We have an article by you, Josh, and um, it's titled, How Can We Find Truth in a World of Confusion Resting in Our Reliable Savior? And it has to do a lot with uh, in the midst of this pandemic and people looking for answers in the midst of misinformation and conspiracy theories that uh, we don't need to be spinning our wheels to try to figure things out. So, Josh, why don't you tell us more about that?
1: Sure. You know, I was thinking about the uh, subject of truth a lot, because during the pandemic, obviously, there's been such a uh, rush of information that is out there, and a lot of it's just bad information, not to mention the fact that, if you haven't seen this, The Atlantic came out with a long-form piece several weeks ago, that was about uh, the QAnon conspiracy theory, and and specifically about the fact that that has taken uh, hold uh, or gained a lot of traction among a bunch of evangelicals. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about the subject of truth. And then as I was just kind of surfing around on the internet, and I think I even like uh, searched for this uh, subject, I found John Lennox, who is a professor at Oxford, who is uh, also, you know, a, a, a devout Christian, uh, talking about what he said is perhaps uh, the most uh, controversial uh, claim that Jesus made, where he said that he himself is the truth. And so I wrote this article just exploring this idea about how Jesus is truth. So even in the midst of a chaotic world where there is a lot of confusion about all kinds of things, you know, not just related to uh, the pandemic or the coronavirus, we can always look to Jesus uh, because he is that anchor and that source of truth that never moves.
2: Josh, thanks for writing this piece and, and pointing us back to that eternal truth. I know that uh, so many people right now are dealing with all kinds of anxiety, uh, whether it is families who are anticipating whatever is to come this fall uh, or folks just looking at the the news around them right now with uh, the coronavirus levels still being uh, way too high. There's just a lot of anxiety right now, and so I, I appreciate you giving us this this reminder uh, in this moment. It's certainly something that I needed this
1: week.
0: And a final article I want to share with you all is by Ashley Newell. She's married to Herbie Newell, who is the president of Lifeline Children's Services. So- Uh, one area that we are passionate about at the ERLC is defending life and caring for some of the most vulnerable among us, and that population would be orphans. So she has an article titled, What Your Family Can Do to Stand for Orphans, Using Our Gifts for the Good of Others. And so she explains how uh, this organization that she's the co-founder of got started. It's called Stand for Orphans, and basically started with her children wanting to uh, put on a lemonade stand in order to raise funds. To give to Lifeline Children's Services, and so at StandForOrphans.com, and you can read the article. But they've got resources on how you can leverage your family's gifts to be able to raise money for some of the most vulnerable among us. And even in the midst of a pandemic, you can do this. There are creative ways to be able to do this. And I know we've we've um, all got some extra time on our hands, even though it does seem like time is flying, but what better way to teach our children and our families to leverage our gifts for God's glory and for the good of others than to um, seek to help the orphans among us?
1: Lindsay, I'm really grateful that you highlighted that one because, you know, adoption and orphan care are uh, causes that are at the very center of what we do at the URLC, and Lifeline uh, Children's Services, they, they're an indispensable partner for us uh, in this effort. The work that they do is just of the very highest quality. Their staff, there they're excellent people, and uh, honestly, I've, I may have only met Ashley one time, uh, but this piece highlighting this work and really just trying to push uh, other people to leverage what, you know, the gifts and the talents they already have, uh, in order to, to help in the effort of orphan care is, is something that Christians in a lot of places, in churches all over the country, uh, could really uh, you know, pay attention to this article and then use those skills in order to, to benefit uh, those who are the most vulnerable uh, in our society.
0: Yes. And we're thankful for partnerships like Lifeline Children's Services and other organizations that are on the ground doing this hard work. It's our joy to come alongside them. So we've got other pieces on ERLC.com along with podcasts that we would encourage you to check out. But for now, that's your look at what's on ERLC.com. Hey,
1: thanks so much, Lindsay. And that takes us to our culture section for the week. So Brent, tell us what's going on.
2: I should mention, since Lindsay talked about all the great content that folks can find on ERLC.com, that this week uh, we got a refreshed website that looks, I think, pretty sharp. What do
1: y'all think? It really does look amazing.
0: Yeah, the new website looks incredible. Jason Thacker, our creative director, has put in a lot of work into that website, and um, it just looks stellar. So it's always fun to get a a little facelift there, and um, it's really easy to navigate. So if you haven't been there, we would encourage you as listeners to go check it out.
2: That's right. And we should also mention that uh, our friends at the SBC Executive Committee and Baptist Press also this week, totally uh, coincidentally, uh, also unveiled uh, a refreshed look on their website. So so kudos to, to everybody for just kind of updating uh, their sites and making them just a tad more user-friendly. And easier on the yeah. eyes.
1: And Baptist Press actually like did a total rebrand. Like they have a total new like look and logo, in addition to just a, a new like what they called a suite of websites. And so yeah, I mean they've obviously done a significant amount of work uh, to get this ready and roll this out this week.
2: That's right. Well, kudos to. Jonathan Howe and George Schroeder and the team at the SBC Executive Committee for for doing that. Well, we start this week on the international front from the biggest story that occurred in uh, Beirut, Lebanon, a massive warehouse explosion that sent a devastating blast wave across the city, killed at least 135 individuals, according to Reuters, and that was at the time of press this, this morning. Uh, Unfortunately, many expect that number to continue climbing. Social media lit up in the middle of the week with dozens of videos showing the blast, and up to a quarter of a million people were left without homes fit to live in, officials said, after shockwaves smashed building facades, sucked furniture out into the streets, and shattered windows miles inland. And I have to say, uh, honestly, just seeing those pictures and videos and just the fallout from the blast, it it did have an eerie quality to it, given that this week uh, was the 75th anniversary of the atomic bombs being dropped in World War II. What what did y'all think?
1: I mean, I've never seen anything like that, uh, and especially to have so many cell phone videos being posted instantly of what was going on. I saw someone comment on Twitter, I think, about the fact that, you know, we we all knew when the Oklahoma City bombing happened, but none of us were looking at footage of it happening in real time and from all of these different angles. And so to see something that really did, like you said, Brent, look like a nuclear explosion and to know that, honestly, it's, it's kind of shocking to know that so far uh, the death toll is as low as it is, uh, considering what... What we you know what we witnessed there, and uh, if you you know somehow haven't seen it, we would just tell you it's it's pretty graphic and horrific to 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 see what is happening and to know, uh, especially the videos that are showing some of the aftermath where you, you can see uh, people who are just in some cases hurt uh, with with injuries uh, or even in some cases uh, have have died and are just there in the streets. And so uh, definitely you know obviously pray uh, for the people of Beirut, but then you know there's going to be a massive effort uh, to respond to this, and so uh, we will you know of course do our our best to keep you apprised of what, uh, especially what Southern Baptists are doing uh, to respond to this crisis.
0: Yeah. One of the most uh, shocking videos to me, uh, one of the angles, you could see cars driving by on a, on a road. I don't know if it was like an interstate or something, but uh, then the blast happened and just all of those cars taken out. And uh, I just would imagine myself driving and then all of a sudden this blast happening and it was just shocking. And um, actually no, An individual who is over there who was not many miles away from the blast, enough to be safe, but just saw the smoke rising up and is actually going to have an article for us up on our site soon for ways that we can be praying for the people of Lebanon because it's already such an unstable country. I just can't imagine uh, what kind of effect this is going to have on the people there.
2: That's right. Uh, Lebanon in recent years has seen a lot of economic uh, upheaval. Folks are questioning the legitimacy of the government. And 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 this is only going to further uh, those concerns. Uh, most people believe that this was uh, caused by a fire that started next to a warehouse, or I guess I should say in a warehouse, that had a huge stockpile of highly explosive material. I believe it was uh, ammonium nitrate. Uh, and that is what actually exploded. It, this material had been confiscated several years ago, and the government had never effectively dealt uh, with that material. And uh, and that is what led to this gigantic blast. OK, staying on the international front, this week in Germany, we saw some anti-COVID-19 lockdown protests. Uh, thousands protested. Germany's coronavirus restrictions last Saturday in a Berlin demonstration marking what organizers called, quote, the end of the pandemic, a declaration that comes just as authorities are voicing increasing concerns about an uptick in new infections in the country. The Associated Press reports with few masks in sight, a dense crowd marched through downtown Berlin from the Brandenburg Gate. Protesters who came from across the country held up homemade signs with slogans like Corona, false alarm, we are being forced to wear a muzzle, and natural defense instead of vaccination. Uh, If only it were that easy, Lindsay, to just declare that the coronavirus pandemic is over.
0: So true. But remember, it's going to be over by November, according to a lot of the stuff floating out there on social media.
2: (laughs) Be that as it may, Please wear a mask between now and then. Yes. Staying on the coronavirus front, uh, North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper announced on Wednesday that the state's economy will remain paused in phase two for five additional weeks. And that will keep bars, gyms and indoor entertainment venues closed until at least September 11th reports NPR. He said the state's coronavirus numbers show promising signs of stabilization and that the start of the school year and later this month means it's time to double down on safety. I mention this because, Josh, you're in
1: North Carolina. How was this news uh, received this week? I'll tell you one of the really sad things is the fact that so much of, of the news and the decision-making uh, coming down related to the virus has become so politicized that people are really reading this uh, in large part, at least, you know, anecdotally from the people I'm talking to and the conversations that I'm hearing through this kind of partisan lenses of those people who, you know, Governor Cooper is a a Democrat. And, uh, you know, there is a lot of uh, support for him among people uh, who are generally on the left. And then among a lot of conservatives uh, who I know and I'm talking to, there is a lot of what you were talking about with the protests that were going on in Germany, there are people here who are just ready to get back to normal and to get you know move on with their lives. And the the problem is, as you've mentioned already, that the situation is just much more complicated uh, than that. And so, seeing that this this is you know going to remain in phase two for the next five weeks, uh, that was not a decision, that, or at least for a lot of people in North Carolina, that was something that they were very uh, very discouraged by.
2: Right, and he pinned his rationale saying that with the opening of schools. People will move around more, and so will the virus. So, I mean, it it seems like a a logical stance to take, uh, but it will be interesting. I mean, honestly, as we are getting closer and closer to fall and school reopening and some of the activities associated with that, uh, this is going to be a pretty interesting social experiment as different states take different courses. One state that's taking a different course is Georgia. Uh, Georgia has, in some of its school districts, reopened school as of uh, the beginning of this podcast. In fact, the largest school district in the state reported that 260 employees have now tested positive for the virus or in quarantine because of possible exposure as they prepare for the new school year. Gwinnett County public school teachers began in-person pre-planning this past week uh, at the 141 facilities throughout the county by the next day approximately 260 employees had been excluded from work due to a positive case or contact with a case and that i think is what is on the minds of so many folks who either work in education or parents who have children in schools not only are they concerned about you know the health of their own children they're worried about the health of the educators themselves and um just like you said, Josh, this is a very complex matter. Of course, we could all just go the way of Kenya. So the New York Times reports this week that education officials announced that they were canceling the academic year and just making students repeat it. They are not expected to begin classes again until January, which is when uh, Kenya typically starts their school year. Education experts believe that Kenya is the only nation to have gone so far as to declare the entire school year a total washout.
0: (laughs) Which is wild.
2: 2020
1: is canceling everything.
0: Parents would not be happy about that over here in our (laughs) county.
1: I was just sitting here thinking, like, what grade do you have to be in to receive? Like, I'm sure there's a tipping point between when this is good news and when this is bad news. Like, if you're young, you, you know, you're just looking at all this time out of Senior school. and It's probably year. cool and you don't care that much. But the further you get toward graduation, I think the, the, the reality of having to repeat a grade or take an extra year, uh, yeah, that sounds pretty awful.
2: It does sound awful. Speaking of cancellations, we should also point out this just in. Coronavirus has canceled the Rockettes. The annual Christmas time show in New York. Oh, yes, the Rockettes.
0: I've, yes, I've seen that, and it, it's not really that bad of news. <laughs> 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 I, it, I mean, they are iconic, but it was, you know, it was a Christmas show. Well, my main my main
2: uh, wonder is: will they still perform at the annual Thanksgiving Day parade that kicks off Christmas?
0: Well, and what will the Thanksgiving Day Parade look like this year?
2: Exactly. Is the Thanksgiving Day Parade canceled?
0: Now that would be sad.
2: We'll we'll stay on, on that news beat uh, and keep our audience up to date. People need to be up to date on Christmas. Okay, so this week we also had a hurricane throttle the East Coast. Hurricane Isaias... Spawned tornadoes and dumped rain along the U.S. East Coast on Tuesday after making landfall as a hurricane right on the North Carolina-South Carolina border, where it smashed boats together and caused floods. At least six people have been killed thus far uh, because of this tropical system. And Josh, you were
1: affected by it. Yeah, the uh, hurricane came like the pathway like came right through where we're staying in eastern North Carolina, and um, fortunately around us there really wasn't any significant damage. I mean, there was some some minor uh, flooding, and then there was uh, you know we lost power for uh, several hours, but uh, you know fortunately everything around me was totally fine. But it is. Uh, you know, it's obviously sad to see uh, the six people were killed by this. Uh, it was the kind of thing where uh, for, for the longest time they did not think it was going to make landfall as a full strength hurricane, but, but it ended up doing so and obviously uh, did considerable damage, uh, especially on the coast there. Well, we are certainly thankful that you and your family
2: uh, are safe. Elsewhere in the U.S., I thought this was a, a really interesting story because it portends potentially problems in the upcoming months. Mail delays are causing concern for folks and, and creating fear for the upcoming election, at least as it pertains to the smooth running of the election. Neighborhoods across the Philadelphia region are experiencing significant delays in receiving their mail, with some residents going upwards of three weeks without packages and letters, leaving them without medication, paychecks, and bills. The delays come at a time when the U.S. Postal Service is experiencing significant changes. The new Postmaster General's policies eliminate overtime, order mail carriers to leave mail behind to speed up their workdays and slash office hours, which, coupled with staffing shortages amid previous budget cuts and coronavirus absences, are causing extensive delivery delays. Now, the reason I bring that up is because a lot of analysts are saying we could potentially have record absentee or mail-in balloting occur this November. And if the U.S. Postal Service is running behind,
1: that potentially means a lot of people will be left behind in the election. Yeah, this is one of those things that... uh I've seen a lot of people talk about already uh, just on the internet and even internally with our staff here at the ERC. we've had people who've experienced these kinds of, of delays uh, or issues in either getting mail to someone or receiving mail themselves. They knew uh, that they were expecting or was was supposed to be coming. And so obviously, you know, with an election coming and with the reality of the pandemic and the possibility of having to uh, cast votes via mail, that's obviously deeply concerning. And hopefully it's the kind of thing that they're going to be able to end uh, issue, they're going to be able to get resolved quickly.
2: Okay. Well, this next story is an update. I know it's going to stir Lindsay from her slumber. CNN is reporting that Republican operatives, some with ties to President Donald Trump's reelection, are actively helping Kanye West get on the presidential general election ballots in states ranging from Vermont to Arkansas to Wisconsin. Until Tuesday, West's attempts to get his name on the ballot have only focused on states that are either dominated by Republicans or Democrats in presidential elections. But West's expected addition to the ballot in Wisconsin means the rapper will likely be a choice for voters in a battleground state that is key to both President Donald Trump and Vice President Joe Biden's path to winning in November. So if our listeners will remember A few weeks ago, we had an update, and it suggested that, honestly, the only state that the West campaign was uh, contemplating being a part of was Oklahoma.
1: Well, now it looks like there's new life in the campaign.
0: So would this really cause a ruckus for Trump and Biden?
1: It definitely could. Um, The issue right now is that the reason that you see uh, political operatives who would have ties to the Trump campaign actively helping someone who, you know, would be an opponent, even if you think it might not be that much of a factor, is that, you know, Kanye West is believed or could potentially, at least in some people's minds, peel votes away uh, from Vice President Biden. And so that is the motivation to help him get on the ballot, especially in battleground states is, you know, even peeling away a few thousand votes uh, can sometimes make all the difference. Uh, Remembering back to 2016, I think Brent could tell you, I think it was about 80,000 votes uh, in total that really decided uh, the way the Electoral College voted.
2: That's right. It was approximately 77,000 votes in three different states, uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. That ultimately decided the outcome of the election. And this particular story puts a spotlight on Wisconsin, which kind of has a history of supporting third-party candidates. Jill Stein in 2016 actually took a significant amount of votes away from the major party figures with her Green Party candidacy. And so some analysts are wondering if Kanye West will have the same effect in November of 2020.
0: You know, I might would move to Wisconsin and vote for uh, Kanye if I got a pair of Yeezys for voting for him. Do you know what those are? Do those are?
2: come in pairs?
0: Yes, because they are shoes.
2: Okay, just 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 making sure, because sometimes he he refers to himself as Yeezy.
0: Yes, but you get a pair of Yeezys. This is my favorite conversation. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'll stick with the Air Jordans. All right. So uh, with that, from the world of sports, I have a sad note to report. The University of Connecticut, the, the Fightin' Huskies, as they're known, uh, with, you know, maybe that's a bit of a liberal use of fightin'. Uh, but they announced Wednesday that they are canceling their football program for the upcoming school year, citing concerns about the coronavirus pandemic. Here's why it matters. According to Axios, they are the first football bowl subdivision program to back out of this year's season. And it could just be the first domino to fall among other major programs. That scream that you hear, which to be clear, should just be inside your heart, is probably from millions of SEC football fans who don't want this pandemic to come anywhere near our football season.
0: Truth. It's not just a scream inside of our hearts. It's outside of our hearts.
2: No, but seriously, I mean, baseball has uh, started, and obviously, as we talked a little bit about last week, has has seen some hiccups uh, as the teams have, have begun playing. Uh, who knows how football will play out with a bunch of 18-year-olds who maybe are not always the, the best at socially distancing all right, so we're going to close on a on a serious note because we we saw a note from Nam Church planning Director Mark Clifton who posted this on his social media account just as we were going to air. Adam Carter and his wife Marilyn Carter. They've helped replant a church in Leewood, Kansas, Leewood Baptist. Marilyn Carter has gone missing, and she went missing just outside of Memphis. Lindsay, do you have any uh, additional details about this?
0: Not much else. I've just seen a couple of things from friends who actually know them, um, and they've posted on social media asking for people to pray. I did see that she was on her way to Alabama, I believe, to visit family and i did see that she was seeking help or had been seeking help i'm not sure for mental some mental health issues and that she had made some statements maybe to family members that were a bit troubling so um, they have posted a picture of her car that she was driving um, and what she was last wearing so i just can't imagine what this family is walking through right now
2: okay well so we definitely want to be uh, in prayer for the Carters and in particular for Marilyn, uh so that, uh, that, that she will be found. And uh, this will come to uh, a good resolution. So please keep the Carters in your prayers.
1: So now we're about to talk to our friend, Pastor Dean and Sarah. Dean is the pastor of City Church in Tallahassee, Florida, that he planted in his hometown, and we are incredibly excited to talk to Dean today. So Dean, would you just tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're serving in ministry right now? And while you're at it, tell us one thing that God is teaching you in this season of life and ministry.
3: Yeah, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, A good way to describe myself is uh, a a huge supporter of the ERLC. So (laughs) I uh, try to make every ERLC event I possibly can. Uh, I'm a pastor in Tallahassee, Florida, which is actually my hometown. Pastor of City Church here, a church we started with some friends in my parents' living room 14 years ago. Uh, so, it started really as a, just a little church plant with some, you know, just as aspirations to reach our city for Christ. And this is before church planting had really kind of taken off. So, we didn't really know the lingo. We didn't have ascending church. We didn't know any of that kind of stuff meant. We just had some folks who were hungry I had to see something happen in Tallahassee for the gospel through the local church. And the really blessed it a lot. Uh, and I'm family-wise. Uh, my wife and I, Chrissy, we've been married for 16 years, and we have three kids: a 14-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a six-year-old. And uh, we love living in Tallahassee and, and doing ministry here. And uh, it's uh, things are things are going really well in terms of this family dynamic and all those things. I'm gonna have a high schooler in a year, so that's something uh, new and a new adventure that I'm excited about as well. In terms of what God's teaching me right now, uh, I think that I am really learning how to work through discouragement and frustration in a way I've never really had to before. Uh, Our church, I think you could say for whatever reason, a lot of things, I guess it's the Lord's grace, have just kind of come easy for us Uh, in terms of since we started. It just kind of seems like everything has just worked out. If it's, you know, we need this certain money for this situation, the Lord's provided it. People have come, large services, uh, more importantly, folks coming to Christ, being disciples. We've seen so many things like that happen. And during this season, it feels like our church has been gutted. You know, from during this whole uh, pandemic and shutdowns, and we didn't have church for almost four months. And coming back has been very, very slow. There's a mask mandate in our community. Uh, So I never, the the scourgements I've had to have before, just kind of like, oh, I wish Sunday would have gone a little bit better. I wish my sermon would have been a little more smooth, just basic stuff. But now I'm really having to kind of check all that at the door and go, okay, like, how, how, what does it really look like uh, for me to, actually minister with joy and with passion and with care and intentionality when things aren't going as smooth as they always have. Uh, So I think that's uh, been—so I think I've read my Bible more. I'm not trying to be super spiritual, but just being honest. I think I've read my Bible more in the past four months than I have like ever, and not because I had more time, but because I just really needed it in my life. And so I think that's been a big thing for me right now.
0: And I'm sure, Dean, there are pastors listening or those in ministry listening that are— not glad that you're walking through that, but glad to hear you talk about it, because they're probably experiencing a, a lot of the same things in this unique and really hard and also never-ending season. So um, oh, we're going yeah. to talk, yeah, talk to you more about your church um, here in just a little bit. But first of all, this podcast focuses on Christians and culture. So can you tell us what things in culture you and those around you are paying attention to right now?
3: Yes. What I'm paying attention to right now are, are a few things. One uh, is how quickly Christians are influenced by any kind of media. I know that's not new, but I think it's more prevalent than ever. Uh, I've seen more fear from people than I've ever seen before in their lives. For and, and again, there's there's a I understand people get scared, but Christians who like are living and operating and making choices just in fear based on what they see, what they read. I'm also seeing people be the other be the other kind of extreme, and be flippant or to be condescending uh, you know to be insensitive based on other kind of media they read and just how influenced we all are by media I, I just I, I know that's not new that's not some kind of profound thought but I think more than ever it's just happened right in front of us to see what from political opinions to coronavirus opinions to race relations to the police to like you name the topic how much media influences us more than anything else more than our churches, more than our Christian conversations, uh, more than our Bible reading. I mean, more, there's more than so many things, how that's just driving us as a culture right now, especially in America. Uh, that's just undeniable. And we have to figure out as churches how we're going to disciple people in an and inv- in, really in an era where they are being discipled by everything else right now with the church kind of tacked on the side. That's a big one for me. Uh, the second one for me is, is what's happening in a lot of, of uh, just conversations regarding race. And, and just how do we understand that racial identity is is a is a true you know factor of life, uh, a true experience in life? But for the Christian, how it truly is not our primary identity. Or at we're at at the foot of the cross. There's no Jew. There's no Greek. Right. So I, I think trying to figure out how to really think through that. that we're a, we're a people that God has made. He's made a people. First uh, Peter two. Once you were in darkness, you know now you're in light. Like it's he he, he has made a new people. So how do we as churches navigate those two realities, that there are real racial issues, that there are real racial experiences, there, there are real injustices and struggles we must pay attention to and care about? And at the same time as Christians, we don't believe that to be our ultimate identity and reality, and I think we're seeing a lot of shift away from no Jew or Greek to people first seeing themselves, and not just race, but seeing themselves first as a conservative, as a progressive, as a moderate, as white, as black, as male, as female, and it seems like those kind of things are driving our identity more. So I'm really, those are the things I'm paying attention to because I think they're the, both those examples I gave, media and where our first identity lies, have become major barriers for discipleship and just really for, for Christian flourishing and are being so influenced by a secular narrative more than actually a spiritual one, but we're so influenced by it, we don't even realize it. And we're letting kind of a, a tribal social media set the narrative for us, and I just think that's a scary place for the church to be. So that's what I'm paying attention to right now.
2: That's good stuff, Dean. Always am trying to think through ways that I am being discipled uh, by by things other than than Jesus, and so that's a, that's a really good reminder. So you're a pastor of a young and growing church in Tallahassee, what led you to plant the church, and are you surprised by what God has done in taking a small core group of folks and multiplying it into a church of thousands there in the capital of Florida?
3: Oh, one, I'm totally surprised, to be honest. I'm actually shocked. I never expected any of this. I was hoping, but uh, I'm completely shocked by it all and grateful to the Lord. Uh, we really had 20 people in my parents' living room, and either people were in college or like a few years out of college. It was like no experience lacked maturity, and God still blessed it and still did these things. Uh, we planned a church in Tallahassee because a one hometown, a passion for the city, a presence of cultural Christianity everywhere. And, and by that, I don't mean people who already are Christians and need to just get more serious. I mean people who think they're Christians and they're not. Uh, because they think they're Christians because they believe in God and they uh, you know, are good people and they went to church with their Nana when they were kids kind of idea, uh, but don't actually know or understand or believe the gospel for themselves So just saw that as a massive mission field and a massive need, the same thing I was saved out of, that kind of cultural Christianity, and just had a real passion for my friends in this place. And also really believe that if you reach the capital city of Florida, I mean, for Christ, the worldwide impact that can happen from here, even being a town as small as ours, is not a big city, but the capital of Florida with two large universities of Florida State and Florida A&M, and the gospel impact from this small panhandle town uh, can really be tremendous.
0: And you know, Dean, anything close to Florida State needs an extra dose of ministry.
3: You are such a gator. Such a gator. Uh,
0: I'm just kidding. We know Um, you
3: had Tim Tebow. We know. We know. We did. We We
0: had. That's right. So we are blessed. (laughs) We've got an extra (laughs) blessing on us. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm. We're so thankful for the work that you've done and how God has just surprised you in what He's done there in Tallahassee and through the church. And we just pray that the Lord would increase your tribe, and um, churches like that all across the nation and the world. So Dean, you're also an author. Your last book was called The Unsaved Christian, and your next book is titled Without a Doubt, How to Know for Certain that You're Good with God. Can you tell us why you wrote Without a Doubt and if you see it as a follow-up to The Unsaved Christian?
3: Yeah, I think in a way it's a follow-up. And The Unsaved Christian, I really, my big goal was for folks to understand that cultural Christianity is not primarily a discipleship issue. It's an evangelism issue. And then from there to kind of help understand what it is, to basically almost stereotype it, give a snapshot of it, and then some how-tos on how to reach folks. But what I, what I still see so often is that default mode for us to resort back to our works as our assurance, or uh, I, I see people that just point to cultural matters, their heritage, things such as that. But when they go to bed at night, they still have that question, where do I stand with God? And I'm not a very good sleeper. Um, I, you know, There's different reasons I don't, I don't sleep well. I get hot really easily. I might get a little anxious, start thinking about things for tomorrow. Um, I'm a light sleeper in general, so the smallest noise wakes me up. I'm, just not, it's, it's, I'm not a great sleeper. But the reason why I should have a hard time going to sleep should never be based on where I stand with God. Because as a Christian, where I stand with God is up to God and not me, and He's promised me that I'm secure in His hands, you know, that nothing can separate me from His love. There's no condemnation for me, that He's for me. And, and I want the churches to be assured of that and be reminded of that. So it's a very short book on purpose. It's less than 100 pages, I really to be a guide for churches, one, to encourage each other, but also to hand to friends. It's an easy, quick read uh, to hand to friends on this topic. So I think that uh, it can be a little bit of a spin-off of The Unsaved Christian, the fact that I think false assurance is a big marker of cultural Christianity. Uh, but rather than spend a ton of time on false assurance, even though I do cover that, I really want to lift up where assurance is really found and how it's found not in not in ourselves, not not in, even in a prayer we prayed, not even in a moment, but it's found in Christ and His work for us on our behalf. And so I hope it can be helpful for people, again, small on purpose, hoping to be a tool for churches, uh, but I'm thankful that, uh, we're, that hopefully people will be able to just have a chance to be ministered to by the reality that God is for them and with them and nothing can change that.
2: Alright, Dean. This last question is uh, is kind of a fun one. So, you know, you're known far and wide throughout SBC life for many things. Oh boy, <laughs> uh, in, including your passion for those those local those local haunts in Tallahassee, uh, like Starbucks and Chick fil A.
3: Absolutely, local establishments for the locals. Exactly,
2: so shop local.
3: I know that's your big hashtag on on social right. media, uh,
2: but one of the one of the things you also regularly talk about, and you do this each week, typically with your Friday question, uh, is about athletic uniforms. So, as a final question, give us a rundown on like why this matters to you, and who, in your opinion, is the best and worst uniforms in uh, in all of sport.
3: Well, if you're going to stink, you might as well look good doing it, right? So I think that matters a lot. And it's actually back to when I was a kid. Two of my buddies are actually –
2: I tell Josh that every day. I mean, That's
3: right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when I was a little kid, uh, two of my buddies and I, they're brothers, and we're still good friends to this day. We actually have a group chat that's only about uniforms. And this this has been going on since I was nine years old. And we just really got into our own uniforms for our Little League All-Star team. And we actually designed the uniforms we wanted ours to look. We actually designed our uniforms and gave it to our park president and says, this is how we want our uniforms to look. And he didn't do what we wanted to do. And we were outraged. So <laughs> we were just always been into uniforms. So since I, it's never stopped for me, I've always just paid attention. I've always gotten excited about them. Uh, we send pictures back and forth of teams uniforms. I've always really been into how, how teams look, I, especially baseball and football uniforms. Uh, so my favorite uniforms, University of Texas baseball is probably my favorite uniform in all of sports, especially when they wear the burnt orange top with the white pants. Uh, it it it, uh, it does things to my insides. It gives me all kinds of chills and warm feelings inside at the same time simultaneously. And I also like um, Oakland A's green tops. I think those are pretty amazing. And I love Wyoming's football uniforms. I'm a real stickler for white helmets and gray face masks. Uh, so those uh, get me every time. And if there's a uniform that I can't stand, it's anything Oregon wears. I think they're terrible. I think they have no respect for tradition and for the game, and need to be held accountable. So that's kind of where I stand.
2: Man, <laughs> those are some good takes. <laughs> I, I think I agree with most of. Them. Maybe not your your final rankings, but those are some really good uniforms that okay, you pulled throwing out, there. out there.
3: Wyoming out there has got to be some extra credit. Yeah, very much so. Their helmet is great. It's like it's a cowboy rodeo guy on a white helmet like it is just strong i watch wyoming games like who cares about wyoming football i do because i want to see their unis
1: this is the kind of quality that content that ULC right. <laughs> podcast listeners have been just waiting for. For glad, you know, glad to,
3: glad to serve for months people. now. So, Dean, we
1: just want to say thanks so much, man, for taking the time to join us today. We are, uh, as Lindsay mentioned, just so uh, excited and grateful to God for what He's doing through City Church in Tallahassee, through your ministry, and you know, the words that you shared today, particularly about kind of the, the difficulties and discouragement uh, that you know pastors can be experiencing during this time, and plus. Like turning to the Scriptures as the place uh, to find both you know refuge and strength. Uh, that is, that's a word that people need to hear. So, thanks so much uh, for taking the time to join us today. Thanks, guys. So now it's time for the lunchroom, where every week we tell you the things we've been talking about with one another. Lindsay, you've got a cool one, and you're up first this week. So, tell us what's your lunchroom is.
0: Okay, so I'm sad that we have not had the Olympics this summer that we've had to wait till next year, but we've still had some talk. Uh, going on about the Olympics and some of the athletes taking to social media. Well, one of those athletes is Katie Ledecky, champion swimmer, amazing. She's also only 23 years old. She posted this video or this video was posted of her swimming while balancing a glass of chocolate milk on her head so of course she had like a tube so she could breathe obviously because she couldn't turn her head as usual but she swims she does not spill a drop and then when she's done and gets to the other side she drinks the chocolate milk of course because what else would you do when you get to the other side of the pool after swimming while um Having chocolate milk on your head. And it makes me very excited for uh Summer Olympics in Japan in 2021.
2: Yeah, thanks, COVID 19, for canceling the Olympics. But I agree with you, Lindsay. After I get through swimming my laps, I like a cool, fresh glass of whole milk.
0: <laughs> whole milk, chocolate milk. <laughs> oh, well, Listen, that too. Just a little side note in college, as part of my wonderful education i took a an, an, did you do the gallon challenge no no i took an <laughs> i took an aerobic swimming class which i thought was going to be water aerobics but no it was not it was learning how to do all the different techniques and strokes taught by a swimmer who had been on her way to the Olympics or something like that. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. I have never been hungrier in my life, so I can understand why after swimming just one lap you need a whole glass of chocolate milk.
2: Right, but the the reason that it needs to be whole milk is is so you get the the good mustache. You know, if you're just drinking skim milk, which is, you know, watered down milk, you're not you're not getting that effect.
1: Man, Brent that takes me right back to elementary yeah, school and, and the got oh, milk campaigns.
2: Did you notice got milk? It's it's actually it's actually being resurrected. It's coming back. Everything's a remix exactly. You know? There
1: are no there is nothing new under
2: the sun. N-
0: nothing new under the sun. That's right.
1: Speaking of things that aren't new, uh for <laughs> my lunchroom this week, I wanted to tell you guys <laughs> I wanted to tell you guys about uh Uh, about something that's just awesome just mostly just for me but you know you could just get to know me a little bit better so i love movies and like i just absolutely love them i've talked about before on the podcast being an amc a-list member so you know whenever movie theaters open back up uh, i like to go to the movies and with the a-list subscription i can go see three movies a week not that i ever make it to that many um but Anyway, what, one of the things that I love is there's a lot of movies that I love that I know aren't really good. So if I make a recommendation to people, I'm basically saying, hey, this is a movie I love that you won't necessarily love. But anyway, uh, one of the things that I really love are sequels. And sequels are rarely better than the original. Right. Like everyone knows that. But what I love is to see characters like develop and like get to know more of their stories, even though the plot is almost always weaker uh, as the series goes on, Uh, with the great exception being the epic Marvel run that they just completed with uh, with Endgame and Mission Impossible. So
0: I'm sorry, but those got better.
1: Hey, Mission Impossible is going the distance. Hey, speaking of sequels, Fast and the Furious still doing their thing. Um, In any case, you can find right now on Netflix, not the original, but the second two movies in the Ocean series. So we all remember Ocean's Eleven was such a fantastic movie. Well, then they made Ocean's Twelve and Ocean's Thirteen, which are not nearly as good in terms of uh, the writing or the plot uh, or even some of the acting, but you can find 12 and 13 on Netflix right now. And if you're anything like me where you just love sequels because you like to see characters go the distance, it's there for you. And I got to tell you, having just finished uh, re-watching Ocean's 12, Ocean's 13 is next.
0: Well, let me tell you what was even more not nearly as good. Ocean's 8. Terrible. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it was terrible.
1: <laughs> I never I never even uh I don't know that I even watched the previews for Oceans 8. I forgot it was a thing. Yeah, you you see, should keep so you, on forgetting.
2: You don't you you don't actually subscribe to the full Oceans universe.
1: I'm not sure Oceans 8 did either, so, to be fair. <laughs>
2: but for my lunchroom segment, uh I I'm returning back to something I think is just great. So uh y'all may remember that a Japan theme park gave us the official motto of 2020, which is to please scream inside your heart. Well, now the theme park is offering scream face masks amid the COVID-19 screaming restrictions. So if you're screaming in your heart and you're doing it properly and not opening your mouth, you will now have a face mask that has been created for you to show your screaming face <laughs> expression and I'm pretty sure that my, ch- my kids are in the background again aren't they <laughs>
0: That's okay. That's one thing that makes you scream they inside are exactly, your heart. And you know
1: what? They're not
2: doing <laughs> Brent. That's right. They're not it's screaming. a
1: pandemic. That's exactly right, Lindsay. <laughs> so with Brent's kids in the background, that's a good place to leave today's show. We want to say thanks so much uh, for listening every week and uh, helping to support the podcast. Just as a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you would, please consider helping us spread the word about the podcast by sharing the episode on social media or going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating or review. But for Lindsay, Brent and myself, we'll be back next week bit more content.